What's up, guys? Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com, back with another episode of the RMR Podcast, episode 24. Checking in with some guests from the East Coast today. Today, I have Eric and Meg of Canna Provisions in Western Massachusetts. How are you guys doing today? We're great. Thank you for asking. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having us, Mitch. Yeah, I am doing all right. I'm having one of those mornings. I was just on another. I was a guest on someone's podcast, and I, I was letting them know I'm I'm not a morning person, man. I'm a, I'm a late night owl, so I'm having one of those mornings, but it's productive. I love it, um, getting after it and talking cannabis, man. I you know it's my passion. I love to do it. Um, so for you guys, I'm curious. I know I've I've talked to some of your guys' team before, but I'd love to get a little a little bit from the horse's mouth, the history. Well, before actually before I get to the history of Canna Provisions, I'd love to just understand your guys' origin story around the plant and that that plant being cannabis. Sure. Do you want to start? You want me to? You can start. Sure. Um, so you know my 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 relationship with the plant began with like most people's did, which was you know in high school and consuming cannabis. Uh, and that, you know, took me right into college as well. And it my, my real interaction with policy and understanding, you know, there was something more uh, to the plant was when I was working uh, an internship for a congressman, we happened to have the most college students of any congressional district in America and was seeing all of these cases coming up where people were being thrown out of school and losing, you know, their entire future with a felony for, you know, simple possession. Uh, that was my first introduction. Then digging into the policy real quick, I saw, you know, how this was affecting um, black and brown communities across America in a really negative way, the war on drugs. So that was, you know, but that was the beginning of, of me as, as an activist. This is early 90s, um, but frankly, I went about my, my life and my career. I was a political consultant for about 20 years or so. And, uh, you know, I was really successful at it. Frankly, I was, I was, a, I was an, a political operative. I was a democratic political operative. And uh, I, I started to refer to that point in my life as, as the great soul suck. Um, and didn't didn't like where it was bringing my my conscience, my values, and my ethics, and my heart, and my head, just weren't lining up. And so I decided to do a mid-career retirement to do something big. And for me, it was really clear at that point. You know, I'd been doing some pro bono work for National Normal. Um, I'd been weighing in on policy points for quite some time. But this was a matter of me giving up everything that I had. Um, with the goal of legalizing uh, medical cannabis in Connecticut, um, but first and foremost, decriminalizing possession. You know, that's, that's the gateway to the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. That is the war on drugs, basic principle of getting their hooks into you. So um, I figured that was going to take about five years to do and ended up getting both of those passed. I, I formed Connecticut Normal. Uh, uh, founded that was the executive director there, and through that passed both decriminalization and the nation's first medical cannabis law that actually went through the legislature. Um, and you know, it was through that time did those in a little under sixteen months. And so it was through that time that I actually met Meg, who was you know one of about a half dozen cannabis companies out of Colorado that were um, involved in some way, shape or form in Connecticut. Uh, and 
I, I, I was really look, like, what am I going to do? I passed this legislation. I'm just going to go back to my, you know, I accomplished my goals. And it was actually the day that it passed in Connecticut. I went to speak at a rally, uh, a Stop the Drug War rally in New York. And in my mind, I crossed, crossed that border. And it was one of the saddest moments I had because I had a lot of friends and such who were just, you know, the, the war on drugs doesn't end at the state borders. And uh, I was, Meg was uh, the CEO of a company in Colorado at the time. And, uh, you know, I was like, I don't want to join the industry. What the hell do I know about the industry? The fact of the matter is no one else did either. It was, it was the very, very beginning, right? right? Um, but I knew about the plant. I knew about consumers. I knew that this was going to be one of the most highly regulated industries in America for the foreseeable future. But more importantly, I knew that there was a lot more work to be done. And through Meg's leadership, I, I joined the company and uh, we worked for about five years building that company up and more importantly, continuing to work around the country to help pass meaningful uh, marijuana law reform. You know, at the time it was a lot of medical, it was a lot of decrim stuff, but it was also getting things up and running. And so that was our company, um, um, which eventually became Mindful in Colorado. And uh, I'll hand it over to Meg now. Sure. Um, so my story, I mean, just the relationship with the plant was just purely recreational through college. Um, and how I came to learn a little bit about the, in, in particular, the palliative aspects of the plant was a family member that was um, actually dying from cancer hmm. and um, really understanding that this was truly the one thing that gave them relief, um, allowed them to have supper at the table mm -hmm. and um, feel more like a human, even though they were in, you know, kind of a transitional period going from, uh, we're, we're really hoping we could find and, and treat this particular cancer, but unfortunately it just, it was not going in the right direction. So it was a, it was a more responsible, thoughtful, uh, respectable exit because of it and it just gave me a new understanding of this is way more than what people are talking about at the same time the um the 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 thing that really happened was you know basically the coal memo um so in 2009 in colorado because we had a we had an amendment to our constitution that basically loosely interpreted said you could grow x amount of plants per patient um, per person. And um, we basically, not we, but we as an industry uh, took that as a green light to, to just open the floodgates and open stores and warehouses. And I mean, it was mayhem. Um, very little, no regulation. Um, a lot of people not understanding the importance of working with the building department, for example, or the zoning committee or, you know, those kinds of things. But um, that, that was kind of how Colorado started and at that very same time I had hit a glass ceiling in the in the um, profession I was in at the time and it was just clear I was never going to go any further than where I was so it was kind of a brand new industry brand new opportunity and also I learned a, a, a little bit more about the medicinal aspects um, once I got into the industry and really started participating as a business owner um, you know at the capital understanding the different legislative pieces that are moving through the, the capital and, and trying to figure out how does this affect my business on a day to day, I started meeting a lot of patients and I started meeting a lot of people that had um, incredible stories about how this plant had changed their lives. And it's impossible. You can't close your eyes to that. It, once, you, once you witness someone in a, in a wheelchair 
um, tell, yeah. tell you how different their life is now that this plan is in their life. Um, when you see kiddos um, and moms who are just thrilled that they're um, see that their, their kids' seizures have stopped or have significantly been reduced, those are impacts that you just you can't. I, I hope for most people and can't and hope to be um, you can't help but be inspired. Mm. And that really was part for me is really understanding that. And then through that as well, obviously with Eric's knowledge of, of the drug war and what's going on, really understanding what was happening in our communities um, with black and brown people. And that, that this was absolutely the way to get them in the system as fast as possible. And when you understood how the system was designed, um, it really, again, I don't know how you look away from it. And it's just a commitment to change that. And I think we've been um, incredibly active in working to change a lot of those things um, throughout our career in cannabis, which is now, you know, 10 years strong. So you're 12. 11 I'm 11 years now. Um, but we, you know, after <laughs> Connecticut, you know, we, we were very, very heavily involved in Colorado as well. And we worked in uh, Illinois, helped to pass the medical cannabis in Illinois in 2013. Uh, Spear headed the effort to pass medical in New York and we worked in Ohio and in Arkansas and, yeah. Florida and in Florida. We worked all over the country. You know, for the most part, it was medical. And really when this got, you know, for us, obviously we're in an adult use state of an adult use business. Our Colorado operations moved to adult use uh, um, when that time came. But back to what Meg was saying, you know, the, the drug war was one part but for me, it was also meeting so many patients mm -hmm. throughout who were just, you know, gives you that true inspiration. I'm really glad the way that the industry has changed um, when we're focusing on social equity in, in a lot of states in the adult use market. But I think it's really important for people to understand that there are still medical refugees out there. There mm -hmm. are still mm -hmm. people who, you know, are risking going to jail, buying stuff on the corner for their mom, dad, wife's husband, sister, whatever it may be. So, you know, we've, we've worked hard to really prioritize the things that, that we think are important. You know, like, like we, we've just told you sort of how we started here and it was not about money for either one of us. Frankly, I didn't even know there was going to be an industry, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this has popped up, you, you know, that's, we were looking to do something big and something, new and feel inspired um and, and look there weren't many people doing that i, I mean when i was working on in in the very beginning or we working on medical stuff you know, you know there really weren't many people across the country doing that at all mm -hmm. it was way the hell out there to be honest with you was, i mean this has moved so quickly uh but i think that a lot of people and i know this this show gets obviously broadcast all over there's for us there were always priorities priority one was saving lives um, and, and whether that meant, you know, the med medical field, but then fully understanding how the drug war has been not just ruining lives, but decimating communities. For um, generations. For generations, absolutely for generations. I, I yeah. would add that the, our location of our cultivation that we were part of in Denver was truly right in a drug war neighborhood. And you could not drive up and down the streets without understanding the implications of what was happening. And, um, and I would say that that passion and that commitment to making sure um, the drug war is ended and that even more so people that have been affected by these horrible policies have an opportunity to get into the industry, 
um, that's where I think our activism has has shifted along the way. Is that kind of from from now we have states that have social equity opportunities in in their legislation and their regulation, and I would say that's definitely where we are. I mean, fully focused. I'd say at this point with regards to other states and other opportunities in other states, there's just some really solid opportunity to make sure we right the wrongs as much as we can. You know, Mitch, and that's kind of how we we got to to Canada provisions as well. And we were consulting around, look, after the 2016 elections, there was only one real winner, real clear winner in 2016, Mm -hmm. and that was cannabis. Absolutely. And we took, you know, we, we had at this point years of successful experience operating around the country. And we, we sat down and really took a hard look and said, where can we continue to do big things? Uh, and Massachusetts had passed its adult use. It was in medical. And we were really hopeful of the policies regarding social justice and social equity. Uh, and we, we looked hard at Massachusetts. I'm a New England boy. Uh, born and raised in New Hampshire, school in Boston, live in Connecticut, and now in Massachusetts. So it's we, we saw this as an opportunity to A, to get off the plane because we'd been flying around nonstop and it's a drain for, for five or six years, um, but also to try to help stand up this adult use market that had a real true social equity component to it. And that's that's actually how we ended up uh, joining this this company and founding this company, Canada Provisions. And we are absolutely based on, um, we base this whole company on doing well by doing good, which is really hard. And, you know, there, there are a lot of really great activists out there. Um, and I don't think that there's enough people within the industry who are trying to change it from the inside and set the bar. And and we're trying really hard to do that. It seems like it's the opposite in this industry that people get involved in the front end with regs to make sure that the, the bar is as high as possible. Yeah. Only people with money and connections. We we're pay. definitely seeing that in in multiple states. Sadly, a lot of the medical states, you know, the limited license states, are beneficial to people that can purchase can purchase regulation in their favor. What you know? Oh, uh, we can tell you a million stories, a million stories from around the country. We've been there at the beginning of almost every medical market. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's becoming the gold rush, but. But, you know, I, I love that. I love you guys as, you know, your starts coming from from almost like a political background and then understanding the medical component. I think I think those are two things that that often bring people to this space is kind of un, I think a lot of people in this space become political once they work in it and they just see the inner workings of it. So I think it's a unique from your side, Eric, to come in kind of from the other side. And Mega, I, I hear constant stories from people that, you know, understand the medical component. And that's what really opens up their, their world to cannabis. And um, I think those are those are amazing things. I appreciate you guys sharing. The social equity thing is also a very large conversation. I'm glad the East Coast, honestly, and some of the Midwest is really leading the, the, the charge of talking about that. I know California was the first West Coast area to, to roll out some sort of program. Very predatory at that. But I'll save that for another conversation. Um, but, you know, I'm, I live in Washington, you know, we're shortly after Colorado. We, we are just now talking about social equity once the Black Lives Matter movement came and it's a mainstream, you know, I live in a liberal state that does good things for the marketing perspective of it. Not, not necessarily the, uh, the heart of doing it all the time, but I love that the East Coast is having that. I had multiple friends um, killed this last year, physically, you know, killed because of the war on drugs. 
in multiple states that some of them are even legal, but they don't have equity markets and potentially they could have gotten out of the streets if if that were there. And so I know it's something that a lot of us are, are passionate about when you set foot in this industry. It, it you see it, whether, you know, whether on the outside or the inside, you spend enough time around it, you see the, the social inequalities that are derived sim simply around this. But for you guys, you know, you said Massachusetts was, a, was attractive. What, what was kind of, when you looked at that, was it the social equity component? Was it the emerging component? What kind of drew, initially drew you to Massachusetts? And then did you guys start out vertically integrated or what was the first kind of flag you planted with Canon Provisions? So we started, um, we, we were focused on Massachusetts because when the adult use regs came out, they made a lot of sense to us. And we, um, there was a lot of Colorado influence in there. So we had a basic understanding of the framework. And what was really interesting was it's not a limited license state, but where the limited licensing comes in is at the local level. Mm. And honestly, that is where, in my opinion, Eric is just the best as far as being able to go into any local government and walk them through why they need to work with us. And that started um, as we, we had multiple clients in, in Massachusetts and we actually were looking at the various locations that Canada Provisions at the time a client had, um, had surveyed and thought this was a good place to be. And I just remember driving over the hill um, on, on the Mass Pike kind of into the Berkshires and it was just so beautiful and felt so at home. And I think we just immediately fell in love with this little town of Lee. And so from there, then going to Holyoke, and that's another passion of, of, of both of ours as far as seeing urban redevelopment, knowing how much cannabis can really flip a neighborhood or flip mm -hmm. a city around um, to just, and even streets that are just, you know, empty, empty, empty buildings. Um, we know when cannabis opens, those buildings fill up. And it was very exciting to think about bringing Holyoke to back to its beautiful original glory as one of the the wealthiest states, in, uh, wealthiest towns in the United States. You know, back in the industrial age. But I think we really bought into what the vision was there. And for us, we were really excited to work in Western Massachusetts, and it was near our home in Connecticut. Um, and we loved the two locations that we were working in with regards to uh, Holyoke and Lee and that the rest is, as they say, is history. Um, when we started going after licenses at the time, um, there was only 18, I think, stores, adult use stores, like even eligible to, tra to transfer their, that original medical group. Um, and then of the medical group that the towns had adopted any type of adult use ordinance, they were the first to kind of transfer into that or, or add, I should say, adult use to their license. And we just saw the opportunity to be one of the first to market. And that's that's really why we focused on the store first in Lee, because we wanted to be that, you know, number 21 or number 22. Um, and that was a that was a huge focus just to make sure from a from our experience in the industry, being a first mover advantage, it really is helpful. Uh, you know, and I'll also say for us looking at, uh, you know, we started this conversation with you today, Mitch, talking about our relationship with the plant. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're really huge, deep believers in the plant and its benefit to so much wellness and lifestyle enhancement as a whole. And we are really committed to customer service and to helping persons get the right products for them. We, we feel a true responsibility for that. And we've seen this in, in adult use markets across the country already before Massachusetts opened up. And you know you have so many people who want to try it. We fought so hard for it, but I saw that there was a lot of sort of turning off at the counter. 
you know, mm-hmm. what do you want? Well, that's that's not helpful for someone who hasn't been, you know, in, in cannabis in 30, 40, maybe ever. They've never mm-hmm. actually used cannabis. We feel a huge, huge responsibility to continue to be not just, you know, brand ambassadors for ourselves, but be cannabis ambassadors. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, 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 that's why we don't call our, our, you know, everyone says bud tenders, we call people guides. Um, I think that's much more important. We're not just serving you something. We want to help you to find, it. yeah, we want to help you on your cannabis journey, no matter where that is. And so going for retail first, we thought was vitally important. Mm. Uh, and, and really matching up the, the knowledge that is necessary, uh, the education to have a well-informed consumer. And frankly, it's, I mean, you're selling cannabis legally. Let's honor that. Let's have this be a great thing and understand that people deserve high service. They, they, they deserve to be treated with dignity and respect all the way through. And we, we, had, we believe that we've done something really, truly remarkable with that customer service experience but i really want to be clear the customer service notion for us um is about respect across the board i mean meg is my customer and i'm hers um we have vendors in our building right now they're my customer my neighbors are my customer my town is my customer and so really trying to build something with a forward-looking face that truly honors everything that we care about and what we want to build and try to set a bar um, that's why we started with retail. Obviously, now we've got cultivation as well. Uh, we will be bringing on our product manufacturing very shortly as well. Um, but yeah, we're continuing to grow. I think the reality in the space is that we're going to be one of many, and we have a short window of time to um, be a very unique, a differentiated, but mm-hmm. a unique experience. And we do know in consumer goods. That unique experience and that passion about what is, you know, people people buy the product because of the why, almost always, you know, it's mm. not just the what. And I think often people just assume, oh, everybody just wants to buy weed, so just sell weed. And it's like, well, yeah, that's one business model, but I don't know how sustainable that is. I just feel like there needs to be a unique opportunity to different, differentiate, to give uh, a platform for people to feel that they can ask whatever question they want in a safe environment a comfortable environment that they feel like it's not sterile. It's not, you know, it's not like this counter experience. We have a very side by side interaction with anyone that we're, that we're talking to with regards to what cannabis products interest them. And it's more private. So they're not worried about who's standing behind them, how many people are online behind them. We really try to take that pressure out and let you, let you tell us what you need from us and we'll do our best to, um, to support that. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's poetry. And I, I think you, you guys highlighted a lot of, I think a lot of the important topics of this issue are, are this industry when it comes to the retail experiences, having this education, you know, I, I think so many people, like you said, Eric, like sometimes we take for granted that this is legal. And I know people within the industry sometimes get this tunnel vision where you're super educated and you know, all the products, you know, all the brands, but you don't understand like the person on the other side of that counter like you said, you don't know where they're at in their, their cannabis journey. Have they ever tried it? Has it been a long mm-hmm. time? And even if they're a regular consumer, what do they even know about terpenes? Do they know like, do they know the THC percentage doesn't even matter? You know, there's so many different components of education that we haven't had due to this not being legal. There's been no education and there's no been no conversation, you know, mm-hmm. and, and add that in with this negative negative stigma that we've had for God knows how long, you know, it is it's 
there's a lot of components going on where that that person on the other side of the counter, you know, you don't know where they're at, and it's very much uh, an act of service. I love love how you said that. I very much treat business the same way. Yeah, um, you know, there's it's it's funny when um, I'm just having this conversation earlier today with with a, a producer of ours, and we're talking about concentrates, and you know, I'm like, great, I, I love that you're making you know live diamonds in sauce, but I was like, can you get me some bubble hash? Because the live diamonds and sauce is like, you know, 0.01% yeah. of the market. And if I sell that to half, you know, to, to most of my consumers, they're never coming back. You know, so just understanding that there's, you know, there's different levels to mm -hmm. person's right. experience and journey with cannabis. And, and we're just really trying to fill that in all ways. We've got one of the greatest things that, that we've seen is when we first opened up here out in the Berkshires, where our lease store is, it's it's a very tourist destination place. Uh, lots of gab, you know, family gatherings and events and things like that. And when we first opened up, we saw as part of our experience something very different than anything we'd seen in Colorado, and that was family shopping together. Hmm. Um, the first time I saw literally four generations of women of the same family in our store shopping together. I was blown away by that. I mean, just absolutely blown away by it and and respected that this is something really cool that we're doing. And it's four different consumers, mm. same family, but I need to get them the right things. And we're seeing it so much more yeah. now how cannabis brings people, people together. together. And it's just so much more normalized. Like it's a given. Hey, mom, you need some weed. Hey, mom, you need a gummy. Like it, it, it's just, it's so lovely that this progression and acceptance and understanding that this might help you and this might be a really good thing. And by the way, you know, we, we also focus very, very hard on redefining the high, you know, high mm -hmm. is relative and you can work really hard to get high or not very hard if you're maybe me. Um, but there's also many, many things that, that little teeny tiny bit of, of, a, of, of, of a cannabis product changes your day changes yeah. how you're thinking, addresses a tiny bit of pain that you're having. I mean, there are so many aspects of this that I feel like it's it's not an on or off. There's a there's a gradation, you know, and, and I yeah. think that we, we really want to honor that. I think the bigger part of this, too, is we, we understand that if we're not really careful with new consumers or any consumer buying a new product, we potentially could turn them off of cannabis forever. And I don't want to be that person, you know? We, we have so many cannabis consumers out there that still don't know they're cannabis consumers yet. So the last thing I want to do is give somebody a horrible experience that then they never come back to a plant that could really change their life. Yeah, we, we hear it all the time. You know, person's like, I haven't, haven't tried cannabis in like 30 years and it was because it got me all paranoid and mm -hmm. I didn't like that feeling. Well, if I'm going to go and sell them a 28% sativa dominant strain right off the bat, I mean, that's that's just stupid. That's like someone asking for, you know, a, a red wine and serving them white. It just, yeah. we need to, we need to truly honor that. And, you know, that comes with our, you know, our staff as well. And our staff ranges from 21 years old to 77 hmm. years old. Um, and guides, you know, our single best guide that we have uh, is 77 years old. Yep, hmm. and, it, and it works so perfectly in this particular area in lean that, that our demographic happens to line up a little more uh, a little more over 50 than under. So it, it's, just like, it's just like anything. When you walk into a store and there's somebody that you can identify with, you're much more likely to, to spend money there. Mm -hmm. You're much, much more likely to convert as a customer.
Absolutely, absolutely. And, and one of your guys, I can't remember if it was the Holyoke or the Lee location, you guys kind of refurbished uh, a historic building, correct? Everywhere. Well, first of all, we, we really super want to, we believe it's important to honor space and place. Uh, and so our Lee dispensary, we actually shopped all over. There's a lot of antique stores and stuff throughout the Berkshires. And so we sourced lots of antiques, took it to a local furniture builder for him to make them all retail ready and on uh, casters so we can move them all around. So our Lee store looks very much like the Berkshires and, and also for our environmental footprint, it was important you know, uh, uh, to upcycle and repurpose things. Mm -hmm. And yes, in Holyoke, we are in a very, very old factory building and we actually, uh, harvested lots. There's a whole campus of abandoned buildings. And we harvested lots of materials from there, including uh, um, brick walls that we took down and, and repurposed. And so our whole store is, uh, it's got a very artsy industrial feel to it. Uh, and, and, and again, it's meant to make people feel comfortable. And, and also we want them to have a completely unique retail experience that we've been into i mean amongst the two of us probably more cannabis retail stores than any other two people on the planet uh, and i know for a fact we're doing something very very different i, I mean it's just hear it every day every day people come in from all over the country and you know obviously we've got deep deep friend backgrounds and and we're doing something different and we're not keeping it a secret we, we want everyone to do what we're doing because back to the beginning we're about honoring the plant mm. Mm. yeah I, I think it was the Holyoke one I, I, I watched some of the videos or saw some photos online and that one it definitely uh, it looked it looked pretty stunning I've yet to be there in person I got I got to make my first trip out to Western Mass and definitely be stopping with, with you guys but uh, on the on the cultivation front I know that's something else that's super unique for you guys that you guys have a very uh, legendary partner in the cultivation space, especially on the East Coast. Could you kind of explain, uh, I know we're, we're getting pressed for time, but briefly how that kind of came about and, and how, how you guys are blessed in that department? Yeah, um, Chemdog. Um, the Chemdog, um, mm -hmm. Greg Krasnowski is a our- person. He's, he's, he's a real he's person, a <laughs> first of all. Yeah, um, so it's, you know, he's our director of cultivation, has brought, you know, his legendary, strains with us you know we've got sitting in our mom room now you know chem 91s that came off the original mm. uh you know we're growing chem 4 chem s1 just all of these legendary strains that we're having out there but you know which also just drives us crazy when we see you know the knockoff chems mm. out there and you know what there's we also think that it's important to give back and put our money where our mouths are and you know, Chem went, Chem got busted. And for for us, it was really important to um, try to bring people into our company that had, uh, you know, it's a social justice issue for us. Honestly, I wasn't even trying to get him. I, I really didn't think there was a shot in hell. It's I mean, just cool to meet him. Yeah, it was like, for me, so we were looking to carry his glass and uh, went to, to meet him at, at his home. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I've, uh, we both, Meg and I have both consumed with, you know, pretty much every cannabis celebrity there is out there, you, you know, from Casey Musgraves and Willie Nelson and Snoop Dogg and, you know, all, all across the board. But for me, there was really uh, um, smoking chem grown by chem in chem's kitchen was pretty damn epic. 
Um, and, you know, we, we really just started a conversation about who we were, what we were about. Um, and he agreed in that first meeting to, uh, um, to sell us glass so we could, you know, sell that in our stores. But it just so happens that he had had two persons, including his wife, who had shopped at our stores um, in the past week. And we're like, you've got to check out these stores. They're doing something different. Um, and so it was just the right, right period of time. Mm. We, we weren't talking about business. We were talking about values and ideals and doing big things. Uh, and and he, he volunteered it. I'd, I'd be willing to come and work with you guys. Let's talk about it. Uh, and and he's, he's a great person. We had a, a quick conversation about it. And, and it wasn't, you know, like other um, master growers, which I hate that term so damn much, <laughs> uh, you know, who come in and say, hey, look, I'm God's gift to everything. Kim is one of those persons who knows what he knows and knows what he doesn't know. And he had never grown at scale, you know, and so there was learning points that needed to come in with it. He's been a great part of, of our team. Um, look, we are, we are the only place that you can get chem grown by chem on the planet. Mm. That's it. And so it was also a big part of, look, I've, I've been sick of this for, for the past decade. Everyone's saying dispensary weed sucks. Uh, you know what? I think we proved that wrong in Colorado a long time ago. Um, but now, I mean, who's going to argue with us? I mean, you're going to tell me that you're growing better weed in your basement than chem dogs growing in my, in my facility. <laughs> bring it, bring it. Yeah, that's, that's legendary. And that sounds like it was divine, honestly, just the way that, the way that it, it, it is. Although I'll tell you where it's making me fail is Meg and I really do have an obligation to try other cannabis products that are out there. Um, I, and I've just been slacking. I mean, I'm smoking nothing but our own stuff. I mean, we, we've got some killer, killer strains right there, right out right now. And if I'm looking at a Chem 4 or someone who's misnamed, you know, some strain that looks like shit, I'm taking that Chem 4 all day. <laughs> yeah, it's made, I, I can I can understand that sometimes I, I feel, my, my point in my cannabis journey has made me, you know, I, I don't know, a weed snob, you know, so I don't know, I, I feel... Sometimes when I'm hanging with my friends that aren't as in tune with the industry, I feel like, oh man, I, I don't mean to be so snobby, but I just, you know, <laughs> I know what I know and I like what I like and I got access to what I got access to. Exactly, exactly. So, well, awesome. I, I know you guys have to get ready for an inspection, something that's very common in, in this industry, inspections on inspections, regulation, compliance, government, oversight, a uh, big part of the, the legal side of cannabis, but really appreciate you guys taking a, a West Coast morning. I know it's about mid-afternoon for you guys out there on the East Coast, um, taking the time out and talking to us. For everyone out there that's that's looking to find more information, cannaprovisions.com is the website. Um, they got a dispensary in Holyoke and in Lee, Massachusetts. Uh, Meg and Eric, super appreciate you guys coming on here, being vulnerable and, and sharing about your journey. That's I, I, something I very much enjoy. Thank you Thanks, very much. Really great to meet you, Mitch. Love to have you out. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Don't worry. I'm going to be back to Massachusetts in a couple months. You guys are on a very short list of people I got to come check out, man. So, yeah. so we'll, we'll we'll try and meet in person. Perfect. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. That is the RMR podcast episode twenty four. We'll see you guys next time.